Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, uh, coming at you alongside with my dynamic duo, media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today's guest on OTB, Ian Barker, Director of Coaching Education with United Soccer Coaches. So I uh, always look forward to getting caught up with Ian. Well, uh, guys, 2020 is a complete shit show. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to use that language. Dana Bash used it on CNN as well. But this year, exactly. 2020, I want to go away. Uh, just can't get any more bizarre. And if you think it can't get any more bizarre, then the, the president now has COVID. Um, every day something else happens puts everybody into a little mini tailspin. So I, for one, am so thankful. This is what I'm over today, by the way, guys, on Over the Ball. I'm, I'm so thankful for the gift of this beautiful game that we get to talk about every week uh, because at, at least at times like these, uh, the game gives you 90 minutes to just a little bit of respite from the craziness that surrounds us. Um, and it feels like it gives me hope for the world out there. So, guys, uh, that's what I'm over today. On, on I love OTB. that, Flynn. Um, you've, you've actually turned it, the I'm over segment into a positive, which we've never managed to do. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if they, they, but people say that, you know, oh, we're America. And, you know, even if saying America first, it's like, look, uh, you know, soccer people know that uh, we play with people from everywhere. And this country is is. Uh, you're only as good as the players around you. Yeah, and even a you know even a team um, you know like Liverpool, you look at them; they're from everywhere. Barca, Man yeah. City, these players are from everywhere. So anyway, this game uh, is gives us something to uh, look forward to each week. Thank God it's around. And um, so, guys, that's what I'm over. What are you over today? Uh, I'm I'm over the uh, continuing confusion over the handball rule, and um, <laughs> I, I know we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. So anyway, yeah, we, should, we should talk to Ian about that. Yeah, later. we will. Yeah, we will. It, it's it's just it, they've made it way too confusing, and they need to just go back to uh, simplifying. That's it. I mean, right now it's costing people games because they're making idiotic decisions. So, Sam, what do you got? What are you over? Yeah, so I'm over. This is personal, I guess, but I'm over just not actually being able to play soccer for the past, you know, six months or so. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all for what you're saying, Kevin, the respite that the game gives us to be able to watch it. But I feel like I'm taking in so much soccer right now, and I have no outlet for that, if that makes sense. I can't. Don't you have a pickup game around you that's going well, that's, on? It's got to be in your bubble there, Grail. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about I'm it. I also have some health issues. Here, you here, you can go so. down and play here. Yeah, well, I, I play on a team usually, but that league isn't happening. So yeah, you know, I'm just uh, I'm I'm missing that activity aspect of it. I don't blame you. I uh, some of the guys, my former teammates, sent me some of the highlights or lowlights, as it would be, from some of the games I played in. I watched myself fall on the turf on that ice with the the. I, I wouldn't get up for two weeks now. Um, yeah. And so like unbelievable um i i don't know uh i haven't played in a long time maybe a little over a year so um you know uh with some injuries and stuff that i've been battling but uh it just gets tougher and tougher and i think once you let a year or two go it's almost impossible to come back especially if you're come on you age. can come back funny uh, i can still 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 not meg you guys and get around but here <laughs> so all right guys so let's uh let's stay domestically here at least as far as the national team uh, we talked about it last week on the show. Sergino Desti signed officially with Barcelona. Uh, what is it, 21 million pounds, Sam? Uh, 21 million euro. Uh, is oh, what euro. I'm saying. Yeah. Um, euro. Plus Pound, pounds. What am I talking about? Pounds. Plus a potential 5 million in add ons. Um, buyout clause set at 400 million. Um, pretty, I mean, pretty wild. I mean, we kind of knew yeah. this was, well, we thought it was likely to happen at either Barcelona or Bayern, but. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. And I think he'll he, most likely be the starting right back. I mean, he's got two minutes. They freed you know, up tomatoes yeah. for him to come in. Right. Yeah, I mean, the other the other thing in, historically is that uh, IX to Barca connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because, of course, of course, Cruyff, Naiskins, De Jong. Um, yeah, it's just there's been this incredible channel between those two teams. And and Ronald and, and Coleman, who coached the – the Netherlands national team, obviously, who will now be Dest's coach, and he tried to get him to play for the Netherlands. He's doing everything by the Dutch handbook except playing for the Dutch. <laughs> yes, he is. That is very true. 
<laughs> so Dest, though, Dest is a bit of a hybrid because, you know, you know, born and raised in the Netherlands, but he's been in the U.S. system for quite some time. Uh, you know, played in the under-20s, played really well, has a real bond with those guys. Um, and so that, that really influenced his decision to play for the U.S. men's national team. And Koeman, or Cuman, however we want to pronounce it, uh, wanted him to play for the Dutch. So um, I think that's an interesting call. I'm kind of, well, we're glad he did, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. By the way, I'm going with Koeman because Cuman sounds like an herb. So well, I, I prefer to go with Koeman. The one, the one Dutch guy I asked, he told Koeman. He, if you let me speak for a second, <laughs> the guy I spoke to told me he was Dutch. He said um, that you pronounce it like the spice, and I was like, "Wow, that's an easy way to remember it." But okay, uh, everybody does it differently, I guess. So, uh, all right, and then Sam, tell us about Chris Richards at, at Bayern. Yeah, this is a 20-year-old kid. Uh, became the second American to win the German Super Cup as he played the last uh, 17 minutes of the win 3-2 against Dortmund that happened this past week. Um, wow. He's also appeared in one of Bayern's two Bundesliga games this year, playing 14 minutes. So not a ton of time, but only 20 years old. And it looks like he's going to get some pretty consistent playing time this year. Um, Bayern, you know, for all their success from last year, lost a lot of guys this offseason. So yeah. uh, I feel like it's all hands on deck right now. So it's interesting a Texan. to follow. Kid's a Texan. He came out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know much about him. We're going to have to do a little, little due diligence on him. Well, he's been on the Bayern second team for a couple of years now, sort of working his yeah. way up to some first team appearances. All right, so this is something I wanted to ask you, Sam. I did not get a chance to watch Juventus play Roma. Uh, Weston McKinney uh, started. I guess he had that great first game, but he basically, you think, underwhelmed in the second game. Yeah, well, Juve is a team really underwhelmed in this one. They got bailed out by Cristiano Ronaldo and the fact that Roma couldn't score on a couple of very clear-cut chances. Um, Juve did not play well. There, I mean, there were questions about the formation Pirlo put out in the first week, but it seemed to work against Sampdoria. Uh, there were more questions asked this week, and it really didn't seem to work. Um, McKenney was singled out specifically for kind of not being up to par in the midfield with Rabio, uh, because Roma played uh, sort of a deep setting, a deep set counterattacking game, and they just seemed to have no problem just slicing through the midfield. So I think this is a matter. I think there's two things happening. I don't think it was a good call by Pirlo to play set up the team the way he did, and I also think McKenney struggled a little bit against a higher caliber opponent that is very quick and very technically sound in midfield. Um, so uh, the Brazilian Arthur, who they got from Barcelona, came on and replaced him. And I think, I mean, I don't know, bad or good news, he, he looked like he played really well and he's most likely to get the start this weekend against Napoli. So I don't know, you know, it's going to be up and downs. This is Pirlo getting used right, to his right. team. I mean, this is McKenney getting used to a new team. I don't, I don't think there's any need for concern necessarily, but um, right. you know, just not, not his best performance. Let's say. I think the big surprise for me was that he played so well and played uh, and played right out of the gate there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is, uh, you know, we watched out Polisic. I wouldn't say struggled in the beginning, but had to be sort of, you know, he struggled feathered in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, cause he's playing at that level, but you got to get used to the speed and, and how it, uh, how that particular league plays culturally. So, yeah. I also um, I think, you know, these early games are almost like a, a preseason because the preseason was so short this year and, you know, it's, it's trying to get, trying to get as much info as you can on guys too. And I wanted to, to mention this real quick. We'll talk to Ian Barker about it. Um, but, the San Diego uh, coach, Landon Donovan, pulled his team off the pitch. Grail, what was your uh, take on this? Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it in more depth with Ian, with Ian. But, yeah, it was a really interesting situation. Hom homophobic slur, a bunch of players, and Landon heard it. I directed it at his player, I believe it was Colin Martin. And he just said, we're not going to play the second half. And they were leading 3-1 and it had playoff implications, essentially forfeiting the match. So, Good on Lanovan. Uh, good on Lanovan. Good on yeah. Landon Donovan. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking a little bit more about it. So just to point out to you, the, the player who was the slur was directed at is openly gay. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, changes things, obviously. Sure. Um, it and does. The, yeah. Then it's not just a, you know, disguise talking smack, which you can't do anymore, and rightly so, but it's uh, actually targeted at someone. Uh, and and who was the player who, who, who is alleged to have said it? Uh, yeah, it was Junior. Um, what was Junior's last name? Uh, Junior Jim Fleming. So Jamaican. Junior guy. Fleming. Jamaican, Jamaican player. Jamaican. So yeah. here's an interesting thing. So if someone said something racist to 
the Jamaican player. Yeah. They would be, you know, but apparently like now here, so a person of color is, uh, you know, should, we should all know better, but it's interesting that a person of color would say, well, don't say any racist things, but homophobic things I can sort of throw. No, but his defense is that he didn't say it. Well, he said a misinterpreted word or something. I don't know. But but Landon, Landon heard him. I don't know. Of course. Of course. My God. Yeah. So this is, uh, I at least like the fact that it, you know, because look, Grail, when we played, you wouldn't raise an eyebrow with that stuff. And it wasn't right. But that's basically, it was thrown around so much that it was part of the game. It is not part of the game anymore. And I'm glad right. Landon took a stand. So that's uh, that's good. So what else? So McKenney won't play. Uh, but um, the Champions League draw, uh, what do you guys think of the Champions League draw? Because I was looking at some of the matchups and um, you could have Sergino Dest against Weston McKinney in a matchup. Yeah, I, I think the biggest news is that Juve and Barca were drawn in the same group, which means we'll see we'll get to see Messi versus Ronaldo for the first time since Ronaldo left uh, for Juventus. And Messi yeah. and Ronaldo, who are those guys? We we like Susie <laughs> and McKenny. McKenny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as yeah, as long as you know McKenny gets in the game, we we might see Sergio Des versus uh, McKenny in that same matchup. So it should be fun to watch. Yeah, I like a few of the groups that just stood out with teams um, going at each other. Group A, you have Bayern and Atletico. Um, group B, you've got Real Madrid and Inter, and Group H, you got PSG and Man United. Um, so you know they're always good. They're always good uh, potential clashes coming down the road. Yeah, I, I, I get. I, I mean, candidly, I get a lot more interested in Champions League when we get kind of beyond the group stage. Sure. Because it just feels like there's a lot of matches, and there's a you know, and and again, it's. Uh, I, I really like it when we get to the round of sixteen. So I'll just, uh, I got the predictions here from 538, which gives Bayern uh, a 20% chance of repeating and yep, as them as the favorite. Man City yep. at 16%, Liverpool at 12%, Barcelona and, uh, sorry, Barcelona at 11 and PSG at 9%. I wonder if that Man City one's going to go down just from their recent performance. Um, see. But you know what? I also, guys, like, well, look, we've been blessed to be of age when, uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Messi are basically playing, and if we get a chance to see them play against each other again, it could be the last time. So yeah, um, that would be uh, that would be fantastic. Let, let's switch to the EPL quickly. Um, here's one thing, guys. Before we start talking about games in particular, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jurgen Klopp basically called out Roy Keane. I thought it was really funny. The exchange was really funny because, um, you know, basically Roy Keane said that they played sloppy defense and. And the Klopp, who was standing by to come on, heard the comment and basically was like, what game were you watching, is basically what he said. And it was interesting to watch Roy Keane sort of back down, which you never saw you see Roy Keane back down from anything. You know, I'm surprised yeah. he didn't two-foot tackle him through the television camera. Um, but what were, your, what were your thoughts on that, guys? Well, he's an, Roy Keane's an instigator. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just think that's kind of the way he's been in his career and – afterwards and he was and and Klopp is defensive too I mean to be fair Klopp does not like to hear criticism he's very defensive of his players which is you know again as a as a coach that's a good thing but uh you know maybe the truth is somewhere in between I don't know yeah, but basically but basically what sloppy what game you've been watching Roy that's a little yeah. cool. so, and what, what were your thoughts well I think it frames kind of a more interesting question surrounding the modern game which you know a few people have been picked up on which is that you know these these top teams play such a high risk you know high press game that when yeah it doesn't work out for them. It can look kind of sloppy. I mean, you look at Bayern Munich losing last weekend, Man City losing last weekend. And Klopp made an interesting point, which I have to give him, which is the fact that linesmen don't call offside as much anymore. They let the play continue. So mm-hmm. there are often times when – I don't like that. You know, a chance, you know, you may have a chance on goal or something that looks just like a bad offsides line that, in fact, may have been offside, but it doesn't get called back because it doesn't lead to a goal. So that that's a fair point. But – I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think when you're talking about, I think there's two angles to this. I think if you're a fan of a team, for example, I was watching Fiorentina lose to Inter last weekend 4-3, uh, thanks to some disastrous defending. And I mean, sure, for a neutral, I guess it was an exciting game. But it was just horrible to watch, you know, as an actual fan. I mean, yeah, so yeah. I think there's that approach. And then there's, yeah, it's fun if you're a neutral and you're just turning on any game to see however many goals. But I, I do think, you know, I like to see goals, but I don't think you want to see goals yeah. based on defensive errors. 
No, I like great goals. I don't like shoddy defense. And right, but you look at the Liverpool man. They get they are so far up the field pressing that you know they got countered on a couple of times. So uh, that's what happens. Like- I mean, Bayern gets countered on too. That's the style they play. You play a high line, you're going to get countered on, and you're going to get people slipping through balls through the backs of them. But again. You just if you have the players that can play that style, to me, it puts the other team on the back foot for almost the full ninety minutes. Well, and speaking of uh, players have the ability to counter, uh, Vardy had a hat trick for Leicester against Man uh, Man City. So yeah, that was uh, just a stunner. I, I got to yeah. be honest with you, Flinny. I mean, five. If somebody had said, first of all, they, uh, Morris scored the first goal, which was an absolute rocket of of a half volley off a, a corner kick. And I thought, here we go. It was early in the game. I think it was in the first five minutes. And I thought, okay, they're going to take care of business. And then the table's turn and Leicester just, again, defensively, City has issues. They've got to sort out their defensive issues. And they just, and Leicester just pulled them apart. Vardy's got, well, I mean, Vardy, Vardy's been their nemesis too. He scored eight goals in the last nine matches against Man City. And they just have no answer for Jamie, Jamie Vardy, and he clearly gets up for that match. Well, this is basically what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, Sam, even you mentioned the defending, where you have a team like Leicester, they have 28% of the possession, yeah. but then they have Vardy. So you know that they, they you know, pack it in, defend, and then counter, and a guy like Vardy can actually that's, – that's his game, man, running at you like that. So uh, Chelsea earned yeah. a 3-3 draw with West Brom. Being down 3-0 halftime. Yeah, perfect case in point, like a, a tale of two – defenses in the first half Chelsea's defense was awful Marcos Alonso made Marco Alonso made two mistakes Silva their brand new signing flubbed a ball in the back and gave away a breakaway and then uh, in the second half you know Chelsea came roaring back and got a three-all draw and some of it was dubious defensing by West Brom so to Sam's point um, you know we got six goals in that match uh, a few of them were okay, and a lot of them were defensive errors. But we had six goals. So, you know, what do the fans want ultimately? What do the fans want? What does Grail Hallett want? Speaking of fans of Chelsea. I wanted, so- I wanted that one point, but, uh, I, you know, I know Frank Lampard was irate after the match, even though they got a point out of it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there have been 103 goals thus far in 28 games. The average – Per, per game is 3.67 goals, which is incredibly high. I mean, probably not as high as Serie A, Sam, because I know you talk a lot about the goal scoring there. But for the Premier League, this is off the charts early on. I don't All know right. what it's at right now, to be honest, in yeah. Serie A. Let's check it out. All right, so let's uh, talk about that sloppy game. Liverpool handily defeats Arsenal, Arsenal 3-1. And they basically dominated play too, and uh, Mane and Robertson. Yeah, I mean, I thought you know again, I thought Liverpool looked. I thought Liverpool looked really good. They they had they had total control of that match, and then you know the the beauty of soccer is uh, they play each other uh, again in the Carabao Cup, and um, Arsenal wins five foreign penalty kicks. Match ends up nil all at uh, after regulation, game. and they win it. So there you go. That's the game we know and love. Payback is hell. (laughs) All right, Everton defeat Crystal Palace 2-1. Leeds defeated Sheffield United 1-zip and go 2-1. Yeah, Leeds Leeds going in the right direction. Sheffield United, you know, 0-3. Didn't have not scored a goal yet this season. That amazing uh, season they had last year seems like a distant memory. So, again, it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of – they can – return to form they've they've been bad the last 10 to 12 matches all right let's move on to la liga barcelona four nil over uh villarreal um 17 year old fati shines and messi converts a pk i love this story suarez scores twice in atletico uh, uh athletic athletics debut diego costa on suarez he says i'll do the fighting luis can do the biting I thought that was fantastic. That's really I funny. Mean, that's that's really is, funny. Man. It's very funny. And it, it's just like, why, you know, it's just put it out there because everybody knows when went down. And I, you know, as I said to you guys, when Suarez got traded uh, from Barca, he's going to have a point to prove. And I just think he's going to have an incredible season with Atletico. All right. And um, Barcelona, a big win, 3-0 over Celta Vigo, but, and Messi scores. Um, but – 
Coutinho's looking like his old self, huh? Maybe he's played himself back into form. He's, and yeah, he's really lucky. That that could be a huge difference for him because he was he was great with Liverpool. Then he went to Barson and never really played well. Then he got put on loan to Bayern, and in his limited time with Bayern, he actually did well. But he was coming on as a sub, and uh, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Coman, Cumin, whatever whatever we want to call the manager. Has uh, has a enable has been able to unlock something and continue. So that that could be very helpful. Yeah, I mean, a new coach comes in, gives you another uh, shot, another chance yeah. to, to build some confidence. And certainly Barcelona, they're not so cocky as a, as a uh, as a as a company, as a group there, because they're struggling. So they're looking for any yeah. answers. Um, all right, let's go to Bundesliga. Uh, Hoffenheim topples Bayern four one, ending a thirty two match unbeaten streak. And their first loss for twenty twenty. Guys, what do you think of that? Sam? I mean, I didn't see this one yeah. fully, but uh, the goals I saw again were sort of like we were describing, uh, where they were flailing around at the back. And uh, I mean, I think Neuer kept out a couple really good chances too. It could have been yeah. worse in some ways. So, I mean, you know, they've been so good for so long. I think this is pretty natural. They yeah. had to play the, the UEFA Super Cup just a few days earlier, midweek. Yeah. Uh, and like I was saying before, they, they don't have quite the depth they did um, a year ago. So I think. I don't know. And, we'll, we'll see. And it's pretty common, Sam, after, you know, that long and unbeaten streak to actually get toppled by a team that you don't expect to get toppled by because you're not focused enough. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's just that generally I feel like a lot of streaks and playing a lesser opponent. That's just the way. I, I think that I think not only that, but if you look at the common thread that's going on here, Man City, uh, and uh, who, who else are just talking about Man City, Liverpool, uh, you know, and it's like it's to get up for this many games, and when you're dominating at the level you are, it's it's really hard. It's it's almost yeah. impossible. All right, MLS. Just some quick news there. Last Sunday's Colorado Rapids Sporting KC match was postponed after a player, a Colorado player, Rapids player, and three staffers tested tested positive for COVID. So this hoax is not going away. Um, no, I mean, not only this league, but other leagues as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It hasn't affected other matches since then, but it's always present. You know, at, at any yeah. given point, it can uh, become an issue. So we just got to keep our guard up, right? Yeah, in Serie A too this weekend, yeah. uh, I think ten players on Genoa tested positive after their game with Napoli. So their game against uh, Torino this weekend has been postponed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, it's just a weird world we're living in, gentlemen. Uh, all right, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll get uh, Ian Barker um, on to talk. I always love talking to Ian. Um, he's got so much to say about so many things. All right, you're listening to Over the Ball. We'll be back right after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, uh, a returning guest. In fact, we like to consider him a returning champion here on OTB, one of our favorites. And we're not just saying that. He's the Director of Coaching Education at United Soccer Coaches, Mr. Ian Barker. Ian, welcome back to OTB. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, so uh, look, we're all dealing with this craziness of the pandemic. Uh, we're all trying to deal. I mean, you're out there coaching kids and you know putting protocols together and everything else. And then the biggest event for many people in the soccer community domestically, I mean, in the country, it's the, you know the biggest thing where everybody gets together, the convention. And you basically had to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Can you give us a, a little bit of an update on what's happening with the convention? Absolutely. So there are technologies now, companies, the one we're using is a company called Pathable, which actually run these types of events and they, they use social networking and they create different types of environments. So it's not just a glorified Zoom call, it's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're hoping that people that typically would go to the convention that, you know, in total about 11,000 people, but about five, 6,000 for education, we hope many of them will, will, will get their little fix this way. But the, the positive thing would be potentially an international audience and an, a U.S. audience that's never been before could, um, could, could sample it and get a feel for it. And then we'll be back in Kansas City in 2022. 
Um, last week, we announced the first nine or so presenters, so Anson Dorrance, quite a few domestic presenters like uh, John O'Sullivan, who's really big in that sort of parent ed type space. And then um, Jesse Marsh uh, from Red Bull Salzburg, arguably just about the most successful US export in coaching right now. Um, yeah. He'll be with us. Um, Emma Hayes from Chelsea Ladies. It will be with us. Amanda Cromwell from UCLA. And then there's a couple of, there will be a couple of, you know, heavy, heavy hitters, but they're very difficult to confirm. So you have to be very careful if you announce them too soon. Right. Well, that's exciting because like you said, you can have a, a, a much farther reach with a lot of people who perhaps cannot attend the convention, but this year can sort of see what it's all about uh, by experiencing it online. Um, so that's something really great to look forward to. And Jesse Marsh, I mean, who said Americans can't coach, right? There he is. Uh, he's doing it. He's doing it in the big leagues. No, because honestly, I think Bob Bradley got a, a bum steer when he went to the premier league, you know, it's a great coach and they sort of looked down their noses at him and, you know, it, it got me mad as an American, but uh, felt very unfair to Bob Bradley. I know Grail, you were, you know, you were a little ticked off about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just felt like they had kind of written his obituary. Was it Swansea that he came into at the tail end? Ian, that was right. Yeah. And, and it was kind of like they had already said that this is going to be a very short term deal and uh, we'll just uh, kind of play along with it for the next six or seven matches. But this isn't r really going to be, a, you know, this is not going to last after the season. So it just felt like he never had a chance. Well, I, I just finished the Ted Lasso series on um, oh, Apple watch TV, yeah. and, and it's quite a sweet show, and it's quite funny. But, yeah, I, I would 100% agree. Bob, Bob's an excellent coach. Bob absolutely could have coached in the Premier League, but I think the circumstance he found himself in, and then his type of personality, too, kind of understated. But the British media is brutal, mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, it took us a while to get used to the idea that we weren't going to have any English coaches coaching the top five or six clubs in the, in, the, right. uh, in the country anyway. But we seem to like Argentinians and Germans and French well enough. Uh, but it could, be, it could be Jesse Marsh. It really could. I mean, he's a guy that's in that Red Bull system. So I, probably the next port of call for him, the dream situation would be head coach at Leipzig. But I think, I think Jesse's one that has the entire package that could coach in any professional league in the world. Plus, he learns the languages really quickly. Um, if anybody wants to YouTube Jesse Marsh giving press conferences in German, it's pretty darn impressive. Well, the dude's an intellect. You know, he went to Princeton, one of my safety schools, and he's just like, he's a smart man. And he does his work. And he's also fiery, and I like that about him. He's got that, that player drive. So, so actually talking about the player mentality, and you – here you are shaping all these young kids and the programs that go forward. The news about Landon Donovan pulling his team uh, at halftime when they're up 3-1 after a homophobic slur um, shows you the difference with what's happening now. Um, because, you know, in all honesty, Ian, and my, my daughter hates when I talk about history, uh, but I, I say to her sometimes, don't judge people from back then and what happens now. It's a different, you know, because look, you and I played against each other, we think a couple of times, boy, I probably said things about your mother and everything else, you know, I mean, there's the stuff you go at each other with. It's like even a homophobic slur back in the eighties when we were playing was out there. Everything was out there. Guys, you know, talking smack to each other. It's just not acceptable anymore. And one of the things we've talked about on over the ball was when there's a racial slur, or a homophobic slur, I used to always say, why doesn't the whole team walk off? Why does the person who the, the slur was thrown up against. Why does he have to deal with it alone? You know, they're, they're your brother in arms. So I like this, um, that Landon pulled his team like that. What, what are your thoughts and, and what are you dealing with in this arena? Well, just a, a little um, personal experience. I was thinking back to, to what would have happened or what happened when I was playing. And I thought about an incident in, um, in the Wisconsin league that you and I have in common. Right. And um, a Yugoslavian player uh, racially assaulted an assistant referee. My team had an African-American guy on it who was adopted by white Jewish parents. So he had a, you know, he had that demographic going on. Our team was, was very diverse. The Serbian, it was United Serbians, but they, were, they weren't Serbians. They were all over Europe right. and America. And um, 
I remember the linesman went after the player physically and then the linesman was escorted out of the facility and we played the game. And that would have been the early 90s. Right. Now we're at a position where Landon Donovan can get his guys to take a knee, forfeit the playoffs, forfeit two games and walk off. I, I have no sympathy for the LA Galaxy player that was let go because it seems to be clear that it was the allegation was, was founded. I do worry a little bit about the guy, the Phoenix Rising player, because it's still an allegation and he's, he's very um, outspoken in, in um, saying that he didn't say it. Um, however, if Landon, Landon's group, they believe in what they heard, they believe in supporting their player, Colin Martin, and, and God bless them for doing it. And I think if this is the new sort of zero tolerance world we're in, um, there'll be some collateral damage. There'll be some games terminated early. There'll be some people that are falsely accused. Right. Um, but if it cleans it up, it will all be the better for it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one aspect of it that he said, he said, and generally when things were said on a field, more than one person heard it. So we hope everybody has their day in court basically. But I think, you know, I, I think it's a good, a good sign anyway that, you, you know, the team unity with it. How about, how about the little ones? I mean, I know my, you know, my daughter and the younger kids, they're so much more aware. I mean, look, I, I even think America, we're very homogenous here in some respects, especially in our sports worlds. Um, but with soccer, one of the gifts that I feel I've, I've, you know, had is that I've met people from absolutely everywhere when I played soccer, different cultures, you know, Haitians and Costa Rica, and Spaniards it's like it's part of you realize that uh, I think in a homogenous atmosphere yeah these things are thrown around against another team or whatever but when you're all different it, it suddenly resonates a lot more I think and uh, I think soccer is always on the forefront with that um, so hopefully this is a, a behavior that's changed but how about on the younger level you don't you don't see this it's not tolerated uh, do you have protocols that you have for when this happens because sometimes you can't overreact on something to make it a bigger deal than it really is. So I, th I think, you know, you're, you're in the difficult position of basically educating children on this stuff. So yeah, how do you handle it? Sadly, we are seeing it in the youth game. So I had a report the other day from Indianapolis. Um, the players of one high school team chose to take a knee at some point, probably the national anthem I'm thinking. And then um, later on a challenge by the opponent was, was joined with the remark, well, that, I'll show you how to take a knee kind of thing. So in the political climate we're in, um, there's probably parents and coaches who condone, continue to condone that type of behavior because we seem to be very polarized, right? So it's almost to the point where if one club, one youth team is from a rural area or from a certain side of town or has more immigrant players or more racial diversity, they're almost immediately opposed to the club that looks different to them. So, um, you know, we, we as adults can support the behavior of the players and, and improve it. It's got to start obviously with the parenting and the coaches have to support it. And what you'd like to see is you'd like to see two coaches putting aside the competitive nature of it and saying, okay, if this is what you thought you heard, I'll pull the player out. We'll, 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 we'll take it at the minimum, we'll sort of uh, de-intensify the environment. Right. But unfortunately, we're not mature enough as adults very often in the youth sport environment to take those correct actions. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I, I remember when I was coaching actually a junior high school team, I had a racial incident. And the hard part is, as a coach, you know, I, it was a sort of a wealthy suburb of Boston. And there was one African-American girl on my team and someone called her the n-word and I think I saw about the best reaction that I could ever see uh, because the, she goes what and then her friends came over and said what did they say and she repeated what the woman the girl had called her and all the girls started laughing like oh my god she's so ignorant uh, they laughed the girl who said the word got embarrassed and started crying and ran off the field and I said wow she like sort of self ostracized herself. And I thought, I'm not even gonna go to, to the principal or anything about this because I, I hope my team certainly, it was a rallying point for them. And I hope 
maybe that girl learned a lesson a little bit. So, um, you know, but I know, Ian, as a coach, it becomes so hard because you don't want to make something an international incident, but you want to give something it's due. Um, you want to teach these kids correctly. And like you're saying, the values that we try to teach in coaching and, and playing ball is, is supersedes winning, right? You know, it's more important to, to good values. Yeah, I, I think the, the, one, the one positive takeaway for everything that's been happening in society around Minneapolis and, and, and then later on in Rochester and places like that, the one positive is that a majority of us who tended to sit on the fence and were disturbed by it but weren't willing to really stand up, right. more of us have been, have been pushed into a space where we're inclined to say, I will, I will speak up now. Um, right. And I, I kind of like that because I, I think that if you look at it as a spectrum, there are probably extremes of the spectrum where very few of us live. Those of us that live in that middle space, though, if we can all improve our behaviors and responses by a small percentage, um, we'll be, it'll be a better and cleaner environment, and especially in the youth game. We can hit critical mass. When good men do nothing, I think it's uh, referring yeah. to. Um, Sam, you had a question for Ian. Yeah, you know, I'm curious, I'm, and I imagine there's not one answer to this, but just what the return to play has looked like this fall, whether that's high school, younger, um, and specifically what sort of new innovations, sort of creative ways to get playing again um, that have stood out for you. Yeah, some, well, some craziness because there is no national consistent, uh, consistent standard. Mm. So um, in Kansas here, we've had the situation recently where the kids are not able to go to school, but they're able to play competitive high school soccer. So, you know, I'm not quite wow. sure if that's sending the right message. Really? I didn't know that. That's, that's really odd. Yeah. That's really I, odd. I believe in Alaska, they are allowed to train in U.S. youth, but they're not allowed to compete. And now um, there's some legal action against the government, the, the state government, because the clubs want to get to that point. Um, we're dealing with a situation in New York. We have an ODP event in Florida. If the New York coaches go to the event, they will have to self-quarantine for two weeks when they get back, which means they potentially can't work. Right. And if they get ill, their health insurance will not apply. That's coaches traveling across borders. Um, oh, that's interesting. In, in, the, in one state in the Midwest, they have, they're not allowed to compete within the state, but they can get travel permits to go across the state border and play the other state. So the state government will let them go and play. I think this is Wisconsin. They'll let them go play in Wisconsin, but not in Illinois. So, um, so that's just anarchy. Wow. Yeah, I do yeah. think though, Sam, that there's some coaches have come up with some really creative ideas for, training in social distance environments, more technical work, smaller group work. Um, so there are innovations in how we deliver the coaching for sure. You know, I guess you're talking like the Alaska situation. I guess if you're training, you're training within your bubble. But even that's absurd in the sense that that bubble leaves and they all go to their family and their bubble. So, you know, I guess the, the thing you're struggling with is the national, here's a national coaching uh, group that is, trying to deal with state-by-state state standards. It's just a nightmare. You Grail, you had a question? Yeah, Ian, I was just curious. Is, is there kind of a universal code of values that you guys use across the board that would at least put down a marker so that in these polarizing times where everybody looks at things through their own lens, you could say, look, we said to you up front, these are the, the values that you must abide by and if you don't, there will be consequences just because otherwise it's just a free for all of people's opinions. Yeah, the, the consequence part is a really challenging one, the policing yeah. of it and the, um, the, the management of it. I'll come back to that. Um, but when I took a, a course with the NSCAA a number of years ago, I was exposed to what they had. They have a 13 point code of ethics. I'll get it to you guys and, and um, Sam can distribute it as, as necessary. I was so taken by it that when I went back to Minnesota, I asked the NSCA if I could adopt it for Minnesota and they allowed me to. Um, subsequently, we've done other things. We have a thing called commitment to culture, which is, is a little <laughs> bit more um, ethereal in some regards, but the code of ethics is very clear. Um, and I, I would recommend any youth club to, to look at it, adopt it, steal it, take it, because it's, 
it's I think it's somewhat timeless, and it was actually created by people PhDs in the in the ethics space. Um, the challenge becomes, and it's a huge problem for USYS, US club, even US soccer, is you get you get um, a, a claim of a situation. You obviously have to do some due process and investigate it. Very often, you're in a very remote location relative to where the incident happened. Everybody's got a lawyer or everybody's got an eyewitness. And then as soon as you enforce some internal policy, like we withdraw your coaching pass or we withdraw your player pass, then there's a lawsuit and it goes up and up the chain. Um, it's a bit gutless, I would say, in some regards, but it simply is we're in a litigious society, right? And um, yeah. amateur sport groups, national federations policing this type of stuff is never seamless and never easy. Yeah. So Ian, get us that. We'll tweet that out um, when we tweet out the show as well and put it on our Facebook uh, page because I think that's uh, something people need to see. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the happy things that are happening in the world of football. Uh, we have a lot of Americans overseas now that are playing at a really, really high level. Uh, the guys and I were talking about this before we got on the air. It's, it's interesting because when, you know, you came over here from England, you know, you were fairly young, but there was no soccer here to watch other than soccer made in Germany, maybe that was delayed a couple of days or something. Uh, now these kids get to watch these guys, the top, you know, football in the world. And they also see Americans who they can emulate. Have you seen that influence on these kids at all? You know, trying to, trying to do the, the cut inside that Polisic does or, or, you know, um, any of the moves that they might try to emulate with some of these, these players? Yeah, one of, the, one of the highlights is when you talk to, for example, kids I work with a lot, Olympic development players, they, they're, very, they're acutely aware of who Messi and Ronaldo are and whatever. But you can now talk about um, Pulisic, you can talk about Reina, you can talk about Dest, um, as well as um, Americans playing in the MLS. And they know who they are and they know what their traits and their skills are. And I think this is something U.S. soccer has wanted for a long time is not always referred to a, a superstar from another country or a, another league, but you can talk about your own American players. Nice. Um, now, of course, some of those haven't grown up in, in America necessarily, but many of them have. And um, when they, I think the, the new the new step with the integration of the European-based American players is that, that I think Berhalter's job is, and I think he's doing a job of it, is integrating them more. So it's not like there's the European group and the American MLS group. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely. I think US youth players now should and can model much more off of players that represent their country as opposed to a foreign superstar. Yeah, I know when I was coming up, I was trying to play basketball like Larry Bird, you know, it was like I'd watch it and then try to recreate it out on the, uh, on the court. You mentioned Burhalter in the national team. Uh, we talked about this last week on the show. Basically, this is the first time, Ian, you watch players sort of bleed out from the starting 11 over the course of World Cup qualifying, you know, like certain guys get you halfway and then they sort of age out and new guys come in. This has been unique in the sense that the pandemic's shut down any national team games, even having camps. So, um, what do you think we're going to see when we when we see the men's national team come out? Because it's going to go right into qualifying, it seems, with a team we've never seen really play before together, all 11. Yeah, I, again, I think we probably talked about it on a previous show. I, I wouldn't work, want Berhalter's job in, in working <laughs> out, you know, what is what does the squad look like? Is it a heavily European? Is it heavily MLS? Is it blended? What is the style of play? Um, I, I would I would anticipate the backbone of the team I would anticipate would be European-based players who are playing in top leagues and getting Champions League experience. But I think for political correctness, but I also think for pragmatic long-term benefit of, of the national team, there needs to be MLS players. So I gather, right. I haven't been following it directly, but I just read Soccer America the other day and apparently Zardes is just having a really purple patch of play. Right. He's also been a favorite of the head coach. So could, could there be a place for him alongside a Pulisic, alongside a Rainer, alongside a Dest, and we can celebrate the continued improvement of our domestic league? And for me, that if he can find that blend and satisfy all of the pundits, um, that would be the, the best interest of the national team. Yeah, it seems like the European-based players will form the spine and then MLS maybe will fill in around it. And it's also, you know, Weston McKinney and a couple of guys 
have come through the MLS. So, so, and then they've gone overseas. So all good, all good stuff. Uh, Grail? Yeah, uh, Ian, that seems to be the catch-22 is we've got all these really good players that are playing over in Europe and are clearly becoming better players because they're playing with better players. And we know that Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, would love to have those players playing in MLS. And so I guess the question is, you know, from a global standpoint, it, or, or domestically even, it, it seems to grow the sport more just because of the exposure these players get globally, but they're, you don't own them, right? You don't own them in your own league. So I'm just curious what your feelings are about that. Is, is, the, is growing the sport of soccer in this country the, the greater good or is growing the league the greater good? Because they're not necessarily completely connected. Yeah, I think if you sort of follow the money, yeah. Don, Don Garber's job is to grow the league, right? Yeah. To have the best league, the most revenue coming in, the, the strongest franchises. So I don't think at the pure business level, it necessarily is great for Tyler Adams to go and McKinney to go and so on and so forth to Andre Yedlin. However, if the, if, if the people at MLS, if, it's, if they're inclined to the marketing, but then you're marketing yourself as right now a development league, right? So right. as soon as you celebrate that, you, that Tyler Adams grew up in the Red Bull system in New York and is now doing very well in Germany, you're, you're celebrating your success, but you're also identifying yourself as something less than Syria R or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, from my point of view, MLS is a great product. We have it here in Kansas City. I've been a season ticket holder for eight years. Um, I don't follow it as closely um, outside of attending the games in my home club as I do other professional leagues um, because of the quality of competition, very often the quality of the broadcasting too. But I, I, think, MLS is, I think MLS is doing fine. What I, what I kind of like is that we've, we're seeing a, a few less of the Ibrahimovic's, the Gerards, the Lampards. Um, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that we've got American players and then we've got actually got some young Europeans who are, who are using the league. Maybe they're on loan to go back. I think, I think that's not a bad place to position ourselves because if the league's only 25 years old, it can't reasonably expect to compete with the Premier League or La Liga. And I don't think it should. I think it, I think it should identify itself as what it is, which is a strong domestic league, probably a secondary league, much like Area Divisia is. And that's, you know, the, one of the greatest soccer nations in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And those, well, three of us on this uh, group here, uh, Ian, Grail and myself, not Sam, he's probably too young, but again, Ian, we look back on where we've come from. For us, this is fantastic what's happening in MLS. So it's sort of, uh, we remember the days when, you know, I used to play for a cheeseburger and 50 bucks. So um, this, this, this it's a good thing. So speaking of the Premier League, uh, what are your thoughts so far in the league? I know we're, um, we love to watch it on Saturday, Sunday mornings. Um, what are your thoughts on the league so far? Yeah, well, personally, I've got used to the, the no crowds and I, I, I watch it with the piped in. Um, so I'm okay with that now. Um, well, you think, didn't like it? You didn't like it at first? Or, well, I, you know, because Ian, I thought it was almost like listening to a training session, which is so interesting, you know, to hear what the players are saying to each other. Um, you know, even for the young people to hear that sometimes. I could hear the players early on. Then they sort of changed the, the audio, and now you can hear. It's almost like we were talking about this last week as well. That they're almost like DJs who have actually gotten better at what they're doing, you know? They, yeah, they well, there's, um, the, way they've, the way they've modulated it, they don't have to apologize so much from foul, for foul language from, from the coaches because <laughs> they were catching that early on. Mm -hmm. um, even though, even though um, there was a... a the end of one season and the start of the other, I thought the quality has been a bit low. Um, I think they've perhaps fatigued, perhaps the lack of a meaningful mm -hmm. preseason. But I think overall, there's been, especially defensively, you've seen a lot of, of poor play, um, which makes the games great, right? So I know Grau's happy for Liverpool leads, well, not the result, cool. but the, the amount of catastrophe defensively. Yeah. Um, the one thing that, that really is bothering me though, the handball rule we talked about off air, um, but more than the handball rule interpretation, I couldn't even tell you what it is. Because if Eric right. Dyer against Crystal Palace, maybe, whichever mm -hmm. game that was, that was, mm -hmm. he wasn't even just ridiculous. But 
I, I, I worry if we used to celebrate a goal, we run to the crowd, the crowd go crazy. And now everybody sort of looks around, waits for the screen to come up and there's five minutes before people can celebrate. So that, that killing of the atmosphere, the killing of the spontaneity, which VAR brings in, um, that really, that is really upsetting uh, to me. And the, I understand where VAR comes from because very quickly, if I get on my soapbox, players cheat because right. um, they can and the game's such a high level and it's very difficult on humans like referees and ARs to see it when, it when they're cheating to the extent that they are and then television has 10,000 angles replayed 10,000 times so there is a need to get it right because you can't ask a referee in the middle and an AR with all that technology that can keep showing them up and yet it's become a very um, artificial and robotic environment and the, the, as you as we all know the beauty of the sport is the celebration of the goal right it's that explosion yeah. um, and, and we're losing it in VAR right now and every week in the EPL it seems to be another talking point as much as great results and great performances. That's a great point Ian I hadn't thought of that because when a goal is scored now even at home watching you have half your mind thinking is that going to be called back? And so it does the euphoric feeling you have. Um, a lot of goals are called back now. So I guess that's just part of the package. And then you, you mentioned the defense um, or lack thereof in the Premier League this year. I, I'm not sure either. It almost feels like this season is a continuation of last season in a way. Uh, and so maybe it is player fatigue. But uh, even you look at Liverpool pushing up so far, but they, they gave up, a, you know, they were getting beat on the counter quite a bit, I thought. Um, uh, the other night so um i don't know yeah i know sam sam's a, a big syria ah lover and the italian defending and uh, sam i know you, you had some thoughts on on defending and where you think it's at right now yeah well i'll point out there have been more goals in Serie than the premier league for the last three years so let's just get that <laughs> out there um wow. but i uh no I, my, my point is just i i think you know good solid defending can also be entertaining i don't necessarily think you know a 4-3 game is um you know that that's an automatically a fun game to watch and i think when you ask people to defend one-on-one -on -one, like a lot of these teams do when they try to push high up the field you know you're going to get a lot of individual mistakes and uh when that happens it's pretty ugly so that's yeah that's my point no i think sam i'm with you because i think defending is the art of defending individually and as a group personified by you know legendary um italian teams is a bit of a lost art right now but if you so if you look at the right back for Man United that came from Crystal Palace, whose name I will butcher, so I'm not going to try, he is an absolutely outstanding one versus one defender. And then he can get forward and cross balls and do the good stuff. Whereas Trent Alexander is a guy that tends to get forward and does good stuff. And oh, by the way, he defends when he's back at the right back position, which right. is not an indictment of him as much as just a modern trend. Um, it seems to be that in the modern game, we're looking for what the defenders can do in possession before we, we look at them at what used to be, at least in my understanding, their primary job was to stop the other team scoring. Um, with a guy like Van Dyke, I think he's just had a little bit out of form and he's making mental errors. I don't think mm. that means he's no yeah. longer a great defender. I, I, I'm not convinced about Joe Gomez. Um, and then your lot at Leeds, Bielsa having... Luke Aylin chase people around the field. There's all kinds of bizarre things happening, but it does make for very entertaining football. And I think if, if goals are up in Syria, are, if goals are, there's plentiful goals in, in top leagues around the, the world, um, I think the fans, fans tend to enjoy that. Yeah, Liverpool has the tendency to, to cover for each other pretty well with that sort of intense pressure they put up. But Trent Alexander just gets, gets caught up. He not only gets caught up, he gets caught up and he's inside. He's sort of, you know, almost at the top of the box. So it's uh, interesting. He's got the wheels. And a lot of times, Ian, you know that that's something you can't teach. If somebody's got the wheels, they can make some mistakes. You know, yeah. DeAndre Yedlin used to be a, a case in that. He'd make defensive errors. I could even watch, you know, I'm watching him out of position on television, but he would, he'd be able to recover because he was so fast. But I think at that level, there's only uh, so far, you know, that can get you before you're burned. Well, Man City had the ball for 70% of the time against yeah. Leicester the other day and gave up five. So 
Um, <laughs> I know that whole possession stats, right? Right. Well, uh, you know, here we're now we're talking about uh, how we're playing differently from you know Tiki Taka, where you always looked for possession, and now uh, now that's it's been busted wide open a little bit. Uh, Grail, I think you. Yeah, to... yeah. Just uh, just quickly on that point, I, I feel like sports goes through sport in general goes through cycles, and the current cycle is to be more offensive minded. And to t- it's the, just the higher risk reward. It's what uh, um, Bayern Munich is playing with a high line. And it's almost like you're willing to gamble uh, on the offensive side, or excuse me, on the defensive side to create more offense. Um, and that just seems to be a trend at the moment. And who knows, five years from now, we may be going back to the Jose Mourinho park the bus mentality. But, but just quickly, in getting back to your point about, you know, VAR and the handball rule, you know, back in the day when I was watching, uh, living in England and watching those classic Chelsea Leeds matches in the early 70s, the handball rule was basically intentional versus unintentional. And that was the dividing line. And there was no unnatural movement of the arm away from the body and all this other stuff. And I'm just curious, do you think it might just be as simple as let's get back to the core rule? Was it intentional or was it unintentional? I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the notion of intent is pretty clear most of the time. Um, and certainly, you know, you're hoping that people are looking at these things played as well, because most of us that played know when you're leaning in to, to block it with your shoulder. Um, when you're talking about unnatural body positions, we're not all the same type of athlete, right? So the Eric Dyer one for me, very natural body position, the way he was coming down. He wasn't facing the play. The guy headed the ball back into him. I have no idea how you can avoid the ball hitting your arm when you're not, you're, you're not looking at it because it's been played over your head. It's not like <laughs> you turned your back. Um, but I think you've got a point there, Grail. Like, it seems like we need almost a, a, re, a rewind to a, to a simpler time when it was clear intent and the rest of it was inadvertent, and, and that's just the way it is. So, um, you know, slide tackles, and the guy's on the ground, you've got to have your arms somewhere. Yeah. And see, there's even been commentary about could you win penalty kicks by intentionally serving more balls into the box and creating mayhem and actually playing for penalty kicks. I mean, that's how ludicrous it's getting. Um, so hopefully, hopefully there'll be a reset. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to play in the Laza League in Boston with an Argentinian player who would cut to the left and then flip the ball up the outside of his right foot to try and hit the guy in the hand. And he did it in practice. More often than not, he'd hit your hand. You'd be like, damn. You know? <laughs> so he's playing for a handball. It'd be very annoying for me. So, uh, um, so anyway, well, Ian, this is a, it's been great to get caught up. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're still hard at work during the, this, uh, this crazy time. We want 2020 to be over. Uh, so we can get back to having a few beers and watching a game with our, with our brethren, uh, um, you know, all the great soccer that's out there. But uh, we appreciate the good work that you're doing uh, with the kids and coaching and, and putting this all together. Um, you know, maybe at the end of the day, some, real, some really good ideas will come out of it at the end and, uh, and we'll be better off for it. Ian Barker, uh, thanks so much for joining us on OTB. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, remember to tweet us at OverTheBall, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, guys, that's great. I love talking to Ian. Man, he, uh, you know, it's uh, educating our youth. I bet he got stuck in as a player, Flinny. Oh, absolutely. Because oh, yeah, he, he he's a pretty tall guy, so he's over oh, yeah. six one, I think. So yeah. um, I'm sure I ran into his elbow at one time or another. He looks like a <laughs> Uh, we know we think we played against each other in the U.S. Open Cup, so um, you know we because I used to tell Back in that, the Jurassic period. Yeah, I used to tell that story about punching myself on the nose uh, yes. when, I, when I was trying to punch a player named Tom Alioto, and uh, Ian knew him, and so we started to talk, and we we went over it all. Uh, Tom played for the uh, Mil- Milwaukee Wave at the time, so um, Ian's Ooh, powerhouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Tommy Bolster played for them as well, so um, okay. all of St. Lawrence. So, uh, great talking, Ian. So, what else we got, guys? We have uh, uh, you have a little goal. <laughs> you didn't like the Iguain situation, Graham? Oh well, huh? yeah, Gonzalo Iguain um, is That's now a- playing for Miami in MLS, and 
he apparently was goaded by the Philly Union players. Uh, Miami lost 3-0 to Philly and <laughs> in the process. Mr. Iguain missed a penalty kick and just got a rash of you-know-what from the uh, Philly Union players. And uh, afterwards, he was offended and said he deserved more respect. Uh, I Sam, what, like what's... A classic, a classic case of a fading star. It's like a Norman Desmond or something coming in and saying, you know, I should just be worshipped because of my past performances. How dare you make fun of me? Sam, what's his reputation? I, I mean, he's pretty fiery. I mean, he's, you know, when things aren't going his way, he can lose it pretty quickly. So this, this yeah. doesn't surprise me. And, I, you know, we've talked about what his sort of motivation level is going to be like coming over to MLS when it hasn't always been there, you know, at places like Chelsea or Juventus. So I give it till the end of the season, uh, Sam, and he will say something like, I never commanded the respect I deserved. And then he'll go back and well, he'll play in some Division Three team over in Europe. He's probably on the phone with his brother, probably trying to figure stuff out. And by the way, Philadelphia, we all know, as a sports town, is known as the most heckling uh, city in the country, really. Uh, I think it maybe makes, makes Yankee Stadium look like a, a monastery. <laughs> uh, sometimes so uh, you get used to the Philly fans because that's that's what, uh, what what they're about so when you welcome to America but I think you're probably right remember though it was the players it wasn't the fans it was the Philly no I know I know that's, that's what I'm saying but but also I think to your point I think sometimes people do figure out all right this is my swan song I will bless America with my presence exactly and and then they come and you got a bunch of 20 something year olds who are fired up trying to you know trying to make their mark on this game so uh sam what do you got for us uh this week before we wrap this up yeah i got a little quiz for you guys uh as usual um looking at the uefa competitions the europa league and champions league both of which had their draw this week as we mentioned earlier by the uh, way i i'm way ahead on the leaderboard but i you know grail did kick my butt last week so i uh, i gotta come back <laughs> um, by virtue of guessing one correct that's how that's how far we fall how bad we are man grail wins one nil so I was looking at the, uh, the prize money, uh, wondering, you know, how much each round is basically worth to a team uh, that they yeah. advance in both the Champions and Europa League. And one thing that's also interesting is the allocation. I didn't, I didn't you know, look into this formula, but it's based not only on how you do the, the, in the particular season, but also based on your historical performance. So you can have a team, you know, actually lose in the final and end up making more money out of the competition than the winner, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Uh, so I'm wondering if you guys can tell me how many million uh, millions of euro a club gets for making the Champions League group stage. Um, I'm going to say, God, it's a lot of money. So the group stage... Say 47 million. Hey, wait, Sam, just clarify. So the group stage is... Just oh, that's just getting into the initial. I mean, th this where we are now. Uh, yes, you're you're yes. one of the la the yes. thirty two teams. Yes, okay. I'm I'm going to say ten million. Okay, uh, fifteen point two five. So you're closer, okay. Grail. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go through all these because it could get a little tough. But for yeah. a win in the group stage, you earn two point seven million euro. Um, for making the round of sixteen, it's nine point five million euro. The quarterfinals are worth ten point five. Semifinals are worth 12. How much do you think the final is worth? Maybe that's where my 47 million one came Yeah, what was, the what was the second to last one, Sam? 12? 12 million for the semifinal. I'm going to say 20. It's got to go up exponentially. 22. Okay, it's actually only 15. I mean, only 15. It's not, it's not incredibly high. Uh, and then finally, how much money does the winner get in addition to that 15, obviously, for making the final? Um, I got I to gotta lower my, my 47 million is not going in. You mean, anywhere. so it's, you mean 15 plus? Yes. So are we counting the 15 or are we saying? I mean, you can, you can add it in okay. if you want. Okay. I'm going to say 25. 30. Okay. It's actually just 4 million euro. Wow, so weird. I think what that tells you is that it's the TV value of being in that game outweighs, you know, actually winning yeah. the game itself. Um, okay, so let's look at the Europa League now for a comparison. How much do you think a club gets in millions of euro for making the group stage? By the way, though, guys, amazing that it's that amount of money, but to think about how much an individual player costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, or it almost takes the whole pile, you know, the whole pot. So. Well, so, so Sam, what was, I'm sorry, so what was champions for qualify for group stage? 
Champions of the group stage was 15.25. Okay, so I'm going to say half of that. I'm going to say 8 million for Europa. Okay, Kevin? Um, 4 million. It's 2.92 million. So oh, you're right God. around there, Kevin. Big, so that is essentially equal to the 2.7 million euro you get for winning a group stage game in the yeah. Champions League. So it just definitely shows you a big the difference. difference. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just run through these. It's 1.1 million for getting to the round of 16, 1.5 for the quarters, 2.5 for the semis. What do you think it is for the final? 4.5. 4 even. 4.5. Well done, Grail. Wow, Grail. Better and in math than me. <laughs> finally, uh, what do you get for winning the Europa League? Uh, so I'm going to say six and a half. Wow, but it went down in the last one. I know. <clears throat> I'd say four. Yeah, four. Well done. Nice. What's Funny. up, Grail? What's up? It was a push. It was a push. So what's not noted in this number, though, is if you win the Europa League, you're automatically in the Champions League group right. stage the next year. So you really – it's almost worth $20 million, uh, yeah. to win that final. Wow. Uh, nice. So these numbers come from footballcoefficient.eu. Very interesting. I, the I check them well, out every, it, it, every morning. Well, it shows you why most clubs in England, I mean, honestly, winning Champions League is the number one thing, arguably more important than winning the league, just mm -hmm. financially, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless you don't win the league for a while, and then they all get uppity about that one, too. So, all yeah. right, guys, what games are we going to watch this weekend? What are you watching? I'm watching, uh, I'm watching that Leeds uh, Man City match to see if Man City can bounce back from that 5-2 drubbing at the hands of Leicester. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, with, a, with a Vardy hat trick. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, Leeds has been, been tough. You've been, you've been enjoying them. Sam, that's they're good at 2-1. Two, two you know, they've, they've, uh, they, they won 1-0 last week. But, yeah, I, I, I've been impressed. Yeah, I'll, I'll be checking out Juventus Napoli on Sunday afternoon, two forty-five. Should be a good one. Hoping to see uh, how Weston McKenney does. Also, yeah, uh, yeah. Talk. Well, all right. We talked about that at the beginning of the show. So, um, yeah, I I'll, I want to watch that Lead Man City game as well. So uh, it's interesting that you know, as tired as I think Liverpool has looked and suspect in the back, Man City obviously as well. So it's tough to be king up there in the top for that long. Um, they well, they're still over the course of the season, though. I like Liverpool's back five, including their keeper, better than anybody else in the Premier League. I just and I was impressed. I was impressed with Thiago too. I think they're the most. They're, they're the most solid. So great player. So all right, guys. Well, that's uh, all the time we have. The great show. I uh, really enjoyed uh, talking to Ian Barker, a friend of ours here at Over the Ball, uh, a man who is uh, part of the solution. My father used to say, you can be part of the problem or part of the solution. And he's definitely part of the solution. We appreciate him jumping on. For Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. <laughs>